Daylight Savings, how's it going out there? <laughs> Isn't it where it's just one hour of sleep, but it feels like, you know, jet lag or something. Uh, so hello to uh, those of you that have joined us live, those of you that are watching online, uh, Cornerstone Inside that are either watching or reading this sermon. Uh, everybody grab your Bibles uh, and let's stand in all of our auditoriums and let's read the last portion of Philippians chapter 1. The last portion of Philippians chapter 1, starting with verse 27, where Paul writes, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. And this is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. So the Apostle Paul is locked up in Rome, but his letter to his dear friends in Philippi isn't a request for sympathy at all. Quite the opposite. As he said in verse 12, what's happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. The entire Praetorian Guard has been made aware of why I'm here. It's because I teach about Christ. And Christian history tells us that the, uh, Paul's testimony to the guards assigned to keep him confined had a great effect, and many of the Praetorian guardsmen became Christ followers after spending hour upon hour in Paul's presence. It's as if uh, they were his captives instead of the other way around. The guards had no choice but to eavesdrop on Paul as he entertained all the guests that were coming and going. Uh, the, the, the Roman citizens had heard for, about Paul for years and now they had him all to themselves, and uh, so they would come and uh, sit with him there in his confinement, uh, and they would worship, and they would study scripture, he would give them encouragement, he would teach them theology, and this is how the Praetorian Guard came to know Christ. Uh, he was unlike any prisoner they had ever held. They were very curious about Paul. And he seemed curious about them as well, even their uniforms and their gear. No, about, no doubt one of these guards served as his model when he wrote Ephesians chapter 6, the armor of God. If you just look at it, you, you see Paul just looking at a Roman guard and describing his uh, outfit and using that as a metaphor for how a Christian gets dressed and ready to go out into spiritual battle. Paul also encouraged his friends in Philippi not to feel sorry for him or worry about all the difficulties that he faced, but instead to develop spiritual eyes to see the result of those difficulties. It's because I'm in chains, Paul wrote. It's because of all the inconvenience and discomfort that I suffer daily that the brothers and sisters in Rome have been emboldened to share their testimony as well. All right, so in today's text, uh, Paul changes the focus from his struggles now to their struggles. Let's dig in, starting at verse 27. Whatever happens, Paul says, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And friends, this one sentence, which we're about to memorize, is one of the best mantras for a Christ follower in any country at any point in history. Let's memorize it quickly. Here we go. Whatever happens, 
All right, let's do it again. You can read it this time, but the next time I'm going to tell you to close your eyes. So work on it. Ready? Whatever happens, conduct yourself. Where'd it go? Let's go. Well, they're being pretty hard on you up there. There it is. Whatever happens. Whatever happens. Whatever happens. That's such a huge parameter, a model for absolutely anything that life throws at us. Whatever happens, good or bad, conduct yourself. And when I see this word conduct, I think of a conductor uh, 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 directing an orchestra, coming out, tapping the stand, and creating music out of potential chaos. Bring order, Paul says, to all of that stuff that's playing in your head. Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And this is a verse that can take you through the week. It can take you through the year. Because we are not the people who just accept the chaos around us. And we're definitely not among those who react to chaos with even more chaos. Uh, now, uh, we work on this to conduct ourselves in a way that best moves people forward into uh, gospel and best represents Christ, uh, who we are becoming, uh, Christ-like gospel people. Our response to life is our gospel, even more than our words, as people watch us cope with the same tough things that they face, this frames our testimony. People watch us, and they see how those who truly follow after Jesus deal with divorce, deal with cancer, deal with getting fired, deal with their child rebelling and taking off. People who follow after Jesus can deal with things in a manner worthy of gospel of Christ. When good things happen to us, we can respond instead of with pride, we can respond with humility and giving other people credit. And when something terrible happens to one of us, we can take a deep breath and say, yeah, this stinks. I'm not excited about this season. However, I have within me the peace that passes all understanding, and I'm going to lean into that peace. I'm going to have a, a, a gospel-worthy response. So let's think about that. Let's think about gospel-worthy behavior. What is gospel-worthy behavior? Well, when trouble hits, I mean, I know my normal response to a troubling situation is to be troubled. And I know how I've reacted in the past to both bad news and also unfair treatment. Uh, I panic or I complain or I fight back or I get defensive. Uh, and I dare say that none of these uh, responses are gospel-worthy behavior. Because when I think of the gospel, I think of grace. I think of peace. Uh, I think of generosity. I think of mercy. I think of forgiveness. I think of, of hope. I think of uh, love. So gospel-worthy behavior would, would, would communicate these values, these responses. And these are things that are infused in us by the Holy Spirit. When I think of gospel, I think of Christ. I think of his behavior. So we would need to soak in Scripture and to, to scour the, the New Testament to, to, to see a Christ-like, gospel-worthy behavior to every uh, circumstance. But is this easy? Yes or no? Absolutely not. Is it your natural response to a bad turn of events to just be peaceful about it and to just have that calm and people go, how are you so zen? And you're like, it has nothing to do with Buddhism. I'm a Christian. But, uh, you know, are you quick to forgive? I'm not. 
Try, just try offending me and see how long it takes me. Uh, we absolutely need God's help. Anytime he allows something negative or hard to invade our lives, we need the Spirit's help to be able uh, to conduct ourselves worthy. Now, Paul goes on in verse 27. He says, here's how you do it. Stand firm in one spirit, church. So he's talking about a group response to negative things. Contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. And he uses the word stand firm, and uh, he pulls this out of, you know, the Olympics were going on in Greece at this time. Uh, and he pulls this word. This is a, the word soon athaleo, uh, two words, athaleo and soon. Where do you get, wh- what do you see when I say athaleo? What English words do you see? Right. Uh, it, it means to compete, and soon means to compete together instead of against. So soon athaleo is, is how you define a well-tuned team. Uh, it means to struggle alongside, uh, to contend side by side. Paul says, stand firm or soon athaleo in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith in the gospel. Uh, this assumes that we are a team contending for a prize worth fighting for. We're not individual competitors out there on our own, winning and losing battles on our own. We're a team. This is how we fight our battles, as a team. We come alongside each other. And, uh, and as a church, that means when one of us suffers, we all suffer, and we all come alongside that person or that family to help. We see this all the time at Cornerstone. And I think we should share it more often because it would be as encouraging to you as it is to us when we see uh, Cornerstone behavior when someone identifies and says, yeah, I'm, I'm hurting. Uh, recently, uh, a week ago Monday, I got an email from Sharon Haw. And uh, I had never heard from Sharon via email before. And uh, so when this whole thing played out, I got back to Sharon. I called her. I said, hey, would you be willing for me to tell this story and even to show Cornerstone your emails? And she said, definitely. So uh, let me just show you what happened over a nine-day period uh, with Sharon. Sharon wrote me, Dear Pastor Steve, uh, I've been attending Cornerstone for the past year with my three daughters. I've served in children's ministry. I wasn't sure who to reach out to this morning, but I'm in desperate financial crisis. And I remember you hearing you preaching about how uh, Cornerstone has helped families in need. She writes, I'm a pastor's kid who grew up serving and helping others, but I've never, ever been in this place. Moved here last January. I've been doing consulting and education projects. But my consulting clients just filed for bankruptcy, and now I'm not going to get paid. Uh, At the end of January, I started a new full-time job, but after seven days, I was laid off because they decided to downsize. So I'm back to project work, but it's been tough. Uh, My husband was unemployed uh, for a few years, but headed to South Korea to take care of his two ailing parents. Uh, The whole family joined him there for three years, but we had to come back, and he's been there uh, the last year alone. The good news is he's got a California job, and he starts tomorrow, but it'll be a month until he gets paid, and we've used all of our savings to support our parents and to pay off debt. Honestly, she writes, I used to be one of those women you mentioned yesterday in the sermon. Like Lydia, a female leader, someone who has been a success, I was a success. But now I've applied for 30 jobs in the last few weeks, but nothing has panned out. The rent is due by March 5th, and I have nowhere else to turn. Not been able to bring myself to walk up after service to ask for prayer, but now I am asking. I've never been in this position asking for help. I'm sending this email while dealing with a huge feeling of shame. That email came on February 24th, a Monday morning at 6.57 a.m. 
Now, I'm off on Monday, so I normally don't even check email, but I checked that afternoon about 3, 3.15, and I saw this, and I thought, you know, we need to jump on this. And so I got back to her, and after she gave me the green light, I forwarded her email to a group of paid and unpaid Cornerstone Care people uh, who I knew would jump on this. And sure enough, the, re the response came back in about seven minutes. Uh, it was from Roland and Pam, who seven years ago found themselves in a similar situation to the Ha family. Uh, Roland lost his job. Pam's real estate business was, was in the tank. And uh, if it wasn't for friends and family th for, for months, they would have gone under. But after they got their feet on the ground, they started helping other people at a rate that is uh, astounding, and they, they have finally formed a nonprofit so people can donate to this. The nonprofit is called Seek and Save. Roland wrote to me, Hi, Steve, Pam and I are in. The last year we have walked with 40-plus families or individuals with some similarities to the situation, and we've seen the Lord step in with his power using all forms of resources. So here we'll, here's what we'll do. Our first step is an in-person meeting to pray and listen and help uh, this person review their resources. We'll call her today and meet in person, and then we'll report back to the group with recommendations and next steps. 20 minutes later, Deb Curtis at the Cornerstone office updated us. Deb is our head of care ministry. Thanks, Roland, she said. Tracy Jones already reached out to her as well. Later that night, uh, Roland gave us the, uh, the update from one day's work. Debbie, that's great news that Tracy's on track. Sharon is filling in the request form. Pam and I had a call with her, and he calls her now his new neighbor. Uh, and we're all meeting with her tomorrow about 5. Uh, God at work, and he tells a story about how Sharon is a parent of, uh, and she was on a field trip, and she sat down on the bus by a girl, and she says, I know you, you go to my church. And the girl and her talked about Cornerstone, and then the girl said, well, are you in a community group? And she said, no. And she said, well, you should join my family's community group. And Sharon thought that was amazing because it was the very same community group that Roland and Pam had invited her to earlier in the day. She could see that God was at work. Then Roland goes on to list all the needs uh, which he had discovered. And so Sharon's very immediate need was just under 800, and then her total uh, need was just under $4,000, a need that needed to be met before March 5th. Uh, Roland already also had talked to her about networking support so she could also get a job. Now, Roland later told me that when he committed to Sharon that we were going to help her and everything was going to be covered, they didn't have any money in the account, very little. The Seek and Save account fills and empties sometimes on the same day. And, uh, but he, they have developed this kind of faith. They went to prayer, and then that same day or the day after, I'm not sure, someone called and just said, you know, the Lord laid it on my heart to give you guys $6,000. And so uh, Roland just said, God did it again. The next day, Tuesday now, we got an update from Deb Curtis's team uh, that Tracy Jones had met with her and that she had com completed our benevolence forms, and they were connecting her with Andy Byron, who's a financial consultant, and, uh, and then they had approved $1,500 uh, to be given to Sharon. And then uh, uh, we're working to enroll her in the financial peach, peace class, or financial peach. A financial peach is a good thing. That started, uh, that, that, that will start this month. Now, that was Tuesday. Then on Saturday, after us going back and forth, uh, Roland updated us, uh, telling us, here are the needs that have been met. Here are the needs uh, that we said we were going to meet, but we haven't paid her yet. And uh, the remaining need uh, is going to be a fifth, uh, $500 out of the 
dollars. There's a remaining need of $500. And on Saturday, February 29th, um, the uh, uh, Cornerstone February uh, blah, 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 Cornerstone Outreach uh, kicked in the additional uh, $500 to tell you that the Haw family's bills are all paid. They were paid before the 6th of March, and the Haw family knows that God is watching out for them, and so is their Cornerstone Church family. So I'd say you didn't know any of that, but some money that you gave went for that cause, and I hope you approve. This is what Paul teaches. Stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. You can bet that the Haw family's faith has been built through this encounter. But so has our faith as we watch God provide. Paul goes on. Don't be frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Paul has heard that the Christ followers in Philippi are under attack. So he encourages them using the word, a word found only one time in the New Testament, the Greek word tyromai, which means frightened. And the image is of startled horses that have been spooked and are stampeding. Paul says to the Philippians, don't be spooked by what's going on around you and don't stampede. And I like this word because it reminds me of us sometimes. I think this word is for the 21st century. Uh, When frightening things happen near us, the church can learn a better response. I think Christ followers can easily shine when the rest of the world gets spooked. So what is the world spooked about this month? Right, right, coronavirus. And as I understand, it's, it's a fearful thing. It's not something, I mean, we can see very intelligent people reacting very strongly to these issues, to this issue of coronavirus. But we also see somewhat of a panic, don't we? We see people in a a panic in regards to their own behaviors and in regards to their own social encounters. Uh, uh, They were telling us that church attendance will be down until people uh, kind of resolve that, hey, I I think I could probably go to church. Um, people, uh, People are spooked. Our news media adds to this, along with educating us about things. They are also, you know, selling commercial time, so they get us to watch and get afraid. Now, once again, I'm not saying it's not something to take precaution. Wash your hands, greet each other with your elbow, don't touch your face, uh, and then get out there and live your life. Because as Paul said to his sometimes fearful son in the faith, God has not given us a spirit of fearfulness, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. Do you agree with that? All right, well then let's live our lives. Having said that, Paul knows the believers in Philippi aren't dealing with the coronavirus. They're dealing with persecution, and they are suffering. Verse 29, it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. The word granted implies a gift, not a curse. And Paul is telling them not to view their present suffering as a curse, but as a weird gift that God has allowed that will reveal Christ's power to them. And Paul sounds a lot like Jesus who promised us, in this world you will suffer tribulation, but I have overcome this world. Uh, and, and, And the world for the Christ followers in Philippi was becoming more difficult, mainly because of the embedded religious dimension that connected all facets of community life in their city. Business deals and social standing were all attached to worshiping Roman gods. The trade guilds all had patron deities. Most of the normal transactions of the day included a small ceremony where you honored the gods. 
It was important to your business partners that you took part in these things to please the gods. A community like Philippi took it even further uh, with its colony status. Uh, the Philippians had embraced something that was happening in Rome and other colony cities, a growing trend known as the imperial cult. Have you heard of this? Sounds like Star Wars, doesn't it? Well, the imperial cult was the worship of Caesar, uh, referring to Caesar with such terms as Lord, Savior, and Son of God. Uh, the story of Caesar was called the gospel. So in towns like Philippi, small shrines were erected in the marketplace where you would stop for a moment of reflection, grab a little pinch of incense, drop it in the bowl, and as it sparked, you would just say, Caesar is Lord. And then you would go on with your day. Well, imagine Lydia, who maybe used to do that, is now a believer in Christ. So she tries to get past the, the altar, but she's noticed that she didn't stop and uh, give tribute to Caesar. Or maybe uh, someone like Lydia takes it further and stops at the bull and says, Jesus is Lord. Well, this kind of testimony in public is going to cost a person like that. It's going to cost them business. It's going to cost them social standing and even worse. And Epaphroditus, who had come to Paul from Philippi, no doubt had relayed this information that the Philippians were suffering persecution. Now, when we read this, we Americans know a little about persecution, not a whole lot. Uh, sometimes our belief in Christ bothers other people. Sometimes we talk about Christ too much at work. Somebody complains about that. Um, uh, maybe our family, uh, your family gives you a hard time because you follow after Christ and they don't. Maybe somebody thinks of you as a hater because you go to a church. Maybe somebody thinks of you as being scientifically ignorant. Yeah, this, that's not fun, but that's hardly the kind of persecution that's faced by people in other parts of the world. Uh, we have pastors that we're in touch with constantly in Cuba, and they face persecution uh, Christians are harassed and followed and even arrested on trumped-up uh, charges. If you, if you declare Christ as Lord in this communist environment, it, it means that you're being disloyal, disloyal to the revolution, which was anti-church. Uh, and uh, uh, so that means that you're not going to get the good job, you're not going to, uh, your kids aren't going to get into the good schools, and so forth and so on. In China, it's worse. Uh, the government cracks down on the churches that don't extol communism and just shut them down and arrest the pastors, and they go into prison. Uh, if you're a Christian in India, the uh, Hindu nationalists might burn your church and beat the congregation as the church burns. In Afghanistan, if you're discovered exploring Christianity on the Internet, your own family is enlisted by the Taliban to re-indoctrinate you into Islam. Uh, if you refuse to cooperate, you might be committed to a mental institution. And I imagine a mental institution in Afghanistan is not a vacation. Uh, and it's been known Christians that have gotten out talk about torture. They talk about experiments being done on them uh, without anesthesia. They talk about people being executed uh, there as well, which is a lot like North Korea. When you become a Christian in North Korea, you simply disappear. You could, uh, you could be disappeared by seeing with a Bible in your hand or mentioning Christianity to someone else. Uh, the Open Doors website, uh, which is an excellent website for you to be acquainted with, both Open Doors and Voice of the Martyrs, uh, Open Doors report that last year 260, 260 million Christians wor worldwide are living in areas where there's high persecution of Christians. 
2,983 Christians were reported killed for their faith. Now, that's the report. The actual number would be much higher. 9,488 churches and religious institutions were attacked, uh, burned, or demolished in other ways. 3,711 believers were detained without trial, arrested, sentenced, or imprisoned. Once again, that number would be uh, very low because so many are not reported. So you're saying, Steve, what, what can we do? Well, you can do what Paul did. You can write letters. Um, we can, you can write letters. Uh, we can pray. And we can pressure our government to take more action to protect Christians worldwide. Are you with me? All right. On to chapter 2. Let's read verses 1, maybe even get as far as a little bit of, of verse 5. Now, that's all we'll have time for. Therefore, Paul writes, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. All right, let's take this apart. Go back to the first verse. If you have any encouragement, Paul writes, from being united with Christ, sit with that. Ask yourself, do I have any encouragement from being united with Christ? How could being united with Christ encourage you today? Why would that encourage you? Well, I, I think for me, being united with Christ means I'm, I'm connected to a very powerful resource. Uh, later in the same book, Paul will write, I can do anything through Christ who gives me strength. It, it's great encouragement for us to be united with Christ. This is, and this is what Jesus prayed for us uh, the night of his arrest, he said, Father, I pray that they would be united with each other and that they would be united with us just like we are united. Cornerstone, you're united with Christ. So no matter what you're facing, you and Christ are a majority in that scenario. And so I would encourage you to grab onto Jesus and let him take you through whatever storm, whatever situation, and hang on and stay united to him. Now, you, you're not, you can't not be united with him, but you won't be encouraged by it unless you recognize it and even celebrate what Paul was celebrating in Romans. Listen to what he wrote to the Roman believers in chapter 8. Who can separate us, Paul wrote, from the love of Christ? Nothing. Affliction, uh, anguish, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger of uh, uh, sword. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm persuaded that not even death or life Angels or rulers, things present or things to come, hostile powers, height or depth, or any other created thing will have the power to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let that be an encouragement to you today, as Paul says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, you say, well, I do. Then he goes on. If you have any comfort from his love. Stop once again. Do you? Take comfort from Christ's love. 
What is it about Christ's love that comforts you? Well, it's unconditional. That's nice. It's inexhaustible. That's nice. It's eternal. That's nice. Uh, as a matter of fact, God loved us so much that he gave something. What did, what did God give because he loved the whole world? His one and only son. Friends, I wouldn't do that for you, and I have three sons. God loved us so much that he gave. It was love that brought Christ to earth. It was love that held him to that cross. It was love that had him come back for us, come out of that tomb. It was love that sent him to heaven to prepare a place for us. His thoughts of you are nothing but love, no matter what you do. As a matter of fact, you cannot do anything that will get him to stop loving you. So Paul says, take comfort in that. You know the Holy Spirit wants to comfort you, don't you? One of the Holy Spirit's names uh, is the comforter. Whatever has hurt you, whatever has isolated you, whatever has caused you to doubt even the existence of God, much less his love, whatever's troubling you, whatever is frightening you, God is right there, ready and willing to encourage you and comfort you. So I do encourage you, receive that today as from the Lord. Those of you that were thinking, I don't want to be a part of church today. I'm, I'm in a terrible mood. I'm in a terrible place. I want you to receive comfort. and be, I, want you, I want it to make you so glad that you tuned into this message today. That, that God loves you so much. And he wants to be an encouragement to you today. Paul goes on. If you have any fellowship with the Spirit, well, we do. Jesus said, I'll never leave you and forsake you. I'll leave you the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, and he'll be with you always. If you have any tenderness and compassion, he says, which is fascinating because some of us, when we started with Christ, we weren't the most tender, compassionate people. Anyone else out there? You weren't the most compassionate person. You might have been a little judgy. And yet Christ has turned you into something more compassionate, sometimes by putting you through a trial and letting you know how it feels following Jesus is to make us more compassionate. If you're developing any tenderness and compassion, Paul writes, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. And as a pastor, I relate to what Paul is saying here. When cornerstone people are serving one another, when cornerstone people are getting along, when cornerstone people are cooperating with the Spirit of God and becoming generous and loving with one another, and I hear about this, it really does, as Paul said, make my joy complete. Be like-minded, Paul says, one in spirit and purpose, having the same love, doing nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And this cornerstone is who we are becoming in Christ. We were once selfish, prideful, independent, and vain. And we are becoming the opposite of all those things as we form together as one team striving together, working together for the common goal. Our goal is no longer to serve ourselves, but to serve each other. And God can use hard times, but he can also use 
uh, people like Roland and Pam and Cornerstone meeting your need for you to see that you really, you really are glad that you became a part of our fellowship. That's my prayer for any of you that are struggling today, that you would be brave like Sharon was and you would reach out and let us know. Because when you reach out like that, not only is your need going to get met, our need will get met. Because we need to give. We need to share. We need to show love. Now, so many times we encourage you to reach outside these walls to serve the world, serve the homeless, serve people out, out in the community. But books like Philippians, you will notice, are written to teach the church to serve each other. Our testimony is attached to how we treat each other. And Paul's saying to the Philippian church, pull together and serve each other. And this behavior is what declares Jesus as Lord of your life. And out there in the marketplace, let's, uh, let's speak up a little bit more about Jesus as Lord. You say, well, I've never been persecuted. Well, maybe you've never been persecuted because no one really knows you're a Christian. Or maybe they think you're the type of Christian that can be easily managed and not in any way making them feel uncomfortable. I think a lot of us could step up our game out there when we walk by those incense bowls and we can stop and say, you know what, I don't play by those rules. Uh, I'm a follower of Christ. And as an American, I actually have rights when it comes to freedom of speech as well. And I'm going to be nice about it, but I'm not going to allow uh, government or, or company policies to keep me from exercising my freedom of speech and freedom of religion. And we have, the, we have the freedom in America to proselytize, where you don't have that in Islamic countries. We have the freedom to witness openly without any kind of repercussion. So I would encourage you, stop being so nice and politically correct. Share Jesus. Why? Because you love people and you want them to spend eternity with you. Father, go with us, with us now with the word of Philippians echoing in our brains. Walk with us through our week. Teach us what we need. Lord, as we take these uh, memory cards with us this week, help us to read this over, over and again as we prepare for our day and help us to decide to be like-minded and serving one another as we serve you. In Christ's name, and everyone said, amen. amen. All right, God bless.